Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 427. And today we're going to be talking about the curse of Monkey Island. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 427 are Charlotte Cutts. <laughs> that was my best Murray impression. Good Murray. <laughs> Giving good Murray. And welcome back. Ryan Heyman. Let's face it, Leon, you're an evil, foul-smelling, vile, codependent villain, and that's just not what I'm looking for in a podcast host right now. <laughs> Thank you very much. And returning guest, it barely seems like a couple of weeks since he was last with us, it's Dan Clark. I've got my pirate hat on this time, so it's a different kind of vibe. It's good to know, even if we can't see it. It's a delightful Welcome. one. <laughs> Welcome one and all. The Curse of Monkey Island. We covered The Secret of Monkey Island back in 2015 in Kane Rinse podcast issue 192. You can find it in our back catalogue on our website. I think that one will still be on iTunes and other places, also Spotify. And it's only been a year and a month since we went to... Scab Island and so on and so forth in Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. That was Kana Rince issue 371. Dan was with us for that one. Spoiler warning, this is a 23-year-old comedy game, but nevertheless, we shall issue a spoiler warning because you might not want to know what happens to Guybrush and Co. You might be saving this one up. LucasArts, of course, made Monkey Island 3. This was announced, this third game in the series at ECTS, the European Computer Trade Show, in September 1996. Of course, Ron Gilbert, the main man behind the first two Monkey Islands, had departed LucasArts in about 1992, and co-writer Dave Grossman joined him at Humongous Entertainment in 1994. Tim Schafer was still at LucasArts at this point, but while he does have a, a, a sort of lower ranking credit on the game, certainly nothing major. But he, he perhaps would have been the, the you would have thought the natural choice as he was still at LucasArts to be, you know, put in charge of Monkey Island 3. But he was having made full throttle, full throttle. He was fully on board making his passion project, which was Grim Fandango, which we've also covered here in the past. And so the reins were handed over to experienced LucasArts people, designers Larry Ahern and Jonathan Ackley, uh, programmer Eric Wilmunder, along with Jonathan Ackley, uh, artists Larry Ahern and Bill Tiller. Larry Ahern has his finger in every pie in this game, uh, including the writing, along with Ackley and Chuck Jordan and Chris Purvis as well. Ron Gilbert, who created the first two games, left the company before he could create the third. Gilbert later said that he never intended for Guybrush and Elaine to end up together as they do in this game. He had meant their relationship in the first game as a brief fling, after which Elaine realised that she considered Guybrush more of a little brother. He still praised the game as, quote, great and said that the makers did an excellent job of capturing the humour and feel of the game, according to the IMDb. Michael Land returns as composer. And a lot of the famous and much loved themes return as well. The engine was still scum, although it was almost unrecognizable in some ways by this point. The we'll talk about the the UI and 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 the look of the game, of course. And technically, apparently, iMuse is still employed on this game, although we talked about the developer commentary on Monkey Island Two, and for which iMuse was developed, and we understood from the three people who worked on that game, that iMuse was almost a one and done in that they, they binned it for being too complicated and expensive after that one. So I'm not sure 
what what the truth is here. Maybe they meant they never used it again, but I thought they meant LucasArts never used it again. Not sure. It was released on the Windows PC in November 1997 on a CD-ROM. Uh, it was re-released as part of a compilation and I think on a budget label or LucasArts budget label at some point as well. But it was only available on the PC for 21 years until the Mac version arrived on good old games march 2018 although it had all previously been playable via scum vm using pc files on a mac of course the baboon baron from the forum says i waxed lyrically last year about my enduring love for monkey island 2 about how it influenced me as a child how it inspired me to find laughter in all things how its gothic comic style inspired so much of the person i became it is a source of frustration that this never made it to consoles what do we have to do to get some sort of Monkey Island mega pack? Reviews wise, we don't have hundreds to go on, but it does have a meta score of 89 from nine reviews. It was named the best adventure game of 1997 by Computer Game Strategy Plus, Computer Gaming World, GameSpot and PC Gamer US. And user reviews wise, looking at Metacritic today, from 300 punters, it has a nine out of 10. And from IMDb users... 2,382 of them, it has a healthy 9.2 out of 10 rating, so people still like this game. Sales-wise, according to Next Gen magazine, the game's predecessors had been relatively minor hits in the US, but became blockbusters on the PC and the Amiga throughout Europe. LucasArts' Bill Tiller recalled total sales between 700,000 and 800,000 copies. This was in 2009. I wonder how many it's done through good old games at the bargain basement price that you can get it for now. Maybe one day they'll tell us. But yes, our history is with the series and curse itself. Dan? I think I've already said on the last show about Monkey Island 2, sort of my how I'd originally played those games at a friend's house and then sort of later caught onto them. Um, and Curse of Monkey Island, I think it come around on the in-between time of that. So I remember playing the demo a lot. It's one of those uh, times, a bit like the Tony Hawk's original demo, where I remember playing it over and over and over again, even though it was just the first little bit with uh, Wally and uh, and Murray on the ship, pretty much. Escape room sort of thing. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. And then shortly after the game came out, or around the time the game came out, was when I first uh, moved out of my parents' house and um, moved in with my first girlfriend and had like an office job and stuff like that. So, uh, So after playing the demo, I didn't have a PC to play it on for a few years. So mm. I had to sort of hold off on playing the main game until a few years later i'd uh, i think i played like bits and bobs of it here and there at friends houses again and uh, and saw little bits but uh, it's one of those things that i really wanted to play but sadly there was no playstation one version uh ryan how about you you were here as i say five years ago for our monkey island one show what about your history with the second game and this one we're covering today yeah i played the secret of monkey island in college. And, um, that's where I really kind of got into the series. I played both that and LeChuck's revenge on, uh, my iPhone at the time, actually, which is a great way, um, to experience point and click adventures because it's one of the only things you can do is literally point, uh, with an iPhone. And so it's, it, it is a really good, yeah. especially the, uh, special editions where they kind of simplified the verb system, uh, that made it mm-hmm. a lot more kind of like streamlined and easy to use for a simpler input method. So, I played through both of those, um, and I was really eager to go on to the third game. At the time, it hadn't been re-released yet, but I tried just, um, I think I pirated the uh, curse originally, just because like there was nowhere that you could <laughs> that you can get a, 
a reasonably like, you know, legitimate copy of it. And, um, I, uh, I tried just like installing the files on my computer at the time. And, um, yeah, it, like the game would boot, but it was such an old game by that point. And my hardware was much newer than that, uh, that, you know, I would get it looking okay for like a minute and then all of the colors would start freaking out. And, uh, it was just unpleasant to Is that the scene at. at the bar when you drink the stuff? It's actually like, that's kind of what it reminds me of. Like I okay. saw that scene in the game and I was like, oh my gosh, this was my experience of the game when I first <laughs> played right. it. Um, so I, I played maybe like, I don't know, 20 minutes of the game. Like one of those things where you try to convince yourself, like maybe it's okay. Maybe I can just kind of get used to it. But then after a while, mm. it's like, you know what? For such like a beautiful artistic game and especially one that requires you to take notice of so much in the backgrounds, um, I had, you know, it's not, not worth, um, not worth lowering my, uh, visual expectations that much. So instead I watched a playthrough on YouTube and so that's how I first experienced it. And, um, I, I think only recently I've gone back to it for the show, uh, within the last couple of weeks or so, and just kind of played through the whole thing. I still remember it a little bit from, uh, my, uh, YouTube watch through, but uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the puzzles are so intricate that I was solving them for the first time, essentially. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was all in, in great natural colors this time around because of a uh, scum VM. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a solid port that they have out there at the moment. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned, um, that it was difficult to find a copy in the USA after the sort of first little release period that kind of talks to the um as much uh, leon mentioned that it might not have been so popular in the states mm. as in europe funnily enough because i remember it being here on again as leon said there were budget releases i think there was like a virgin games release a lucas arts archives release and yeah i just find it interesting that it's for me it's one of those games that if you went into a dixon's or a um any of the shops that sold pc games at the time it's just one of those games that you would always find a budget release of. I think by that time it was like a decade and a half on. So, you know, oh, I think maybe PC okay, shops cool. were pretty uh, rare, even, you know, in total at that point. In that case, excuse my irrelevant comments. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is interesting because this did come up before talking about the, the popularity of the series and how it really did fly in Europe compared to America, which always seemed odd because a lot of the humor seemed, although influenced by maybe, you know, elements of Monty Python and stuff, a lot of, a lot of it seems very American and a lot of the references and stuff. So yeah, always, always interesting that I don't think we realized here at the time playing them in, in Europe on, often on the Amiga, because it was the machine that more of us had mm. that this was a, a PC game first and foremost, and yeah, not huge in America as we, as we thought it might have been. Charlotte, so this is the first time you've joined us for a Monkey Island podcast. Did you have, we've had some correspondence from people who started here with this series. Is that the case for you or are you already familiar with Guybrush's escapades throughout the Caribbean? I did play Escape, so the the PS2 one. Oh, crikey. That's four, yes. Yeah, for like half an hour and I wasn't very impressed. That's about enough. No, we may cover that one someday, but uh, I don't think we'll be kind to it. Yeah, I don't know if it has anything to do with the reason that long-standing fans of the game might not be interested in it. I just didn't find it very fun. Mm-hmm. And I tend to not find point-and-clicks very fun, to be honest. You might be wondering why I'm oh, even really? on this. I am, yeah. 
<laughs> Why am I yeah. on the show? But just to give a little bit of history of previous games that I've played that might be considered similar or have similar, uh, sorry, some of the same developers. So I have played some Tim Schafer games before. Yeah. I've tried out, uh, oh, Day of the Tentacle, that's what it's called. I yes. was not impressed by that at all. I found it overly oh. convoluted. And I. <laughs> the, the problem I have is I was I was looking at a guide all the time and it just sucked all the fun out of it. But I have played maybe one or two point and clicks I was impressed with. I really liked, um, I played the first episode of the remake of, it's got a knight in it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, the, the, the first episode of it King's is called Quest. The Knights. King's Quest, yes. I, I really right. loved the first episode of uh, the remake of King's Quest. Okay, so that those were by uh, LucasArts' rival in the genre, Sierra, we should yeah. just say. Yeah. So I've, yeah. I've, I found one or two that sort of appeal to my tastes of liking something a little bit simpler, but for the most part, I've found point-and-click adventures to be a frustrating experience. But I wanted to give it a chance, and, and maybe my opinion on Curse, given what I've just said, might surprise a few people. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, for me, well, I didn't have a capable PC in 1997. I was very much PlayStation and Saturn gamer at that point and also still had my Super Nintendo and so on. Uh, and my Amiga even just about clinging on at that stage. But uh, a friend of mine had Curse of Monkey Island. Not sure if it was a legit copy or otherwise, but he showed it me. I was a huge fan of the first two games, although the second one had been a struggle to play on my Amiga back then. but. There was something I was interested in the change in art style, but I was, I do believe I was aware that the writers had changed, that it wasn't by the same people. And I wasn't sure about the, so the box art now mirrors the art style in the game, whereas the previous games had those absolutely spectacular Steve Purcell covers that really didn't look like what the art that was in the game at all, but did set my imagination racing. And so uh, I, I, I also saw the the opening few minutes of it at the time and was like, oh, okay. And I wasn't sure about them being voiced. And, you know, so although I was kind of gutted to be missing out on it, I was okay with the fact that it took me until I think probably about 2001 to finally get around to getting a copy on a PC that could run it and playing it then. Played it through, completed it, I think just on the, the default setting rather than the harder puzzles version. Bought it on Good Old Games a while back and uh, played it through for this show. For the, so it's my second playthrough again on the not rock hard extra puzzles setting. Um, and I'd forgotten a lot of it. A few things came back as I played through. And yeah, I still have, I know, we're going to talk a lot about the relationship between this game and some of the fans, the hardcore fans of the series. And I'm certainly one of those who was always a bit like, is this really a canonical sequel? Because it's all different people and it kind of disregards the previous game. So, um, but yes, having played it again, I've tried to take it on its own merits and we'll get into that, of course. Ashman86 will launch us into such discussions he writes, The Secret Monkey Island is one of my earliest and most influential gaming memories. I credit it for my falling in love with both reading and video games, and it's naturally very near and dear to my heart. But it isn't my favourite game in the series. I think it might be heresy to most Monkey Island fans, and so is the fact that the game's immediate successor is probably my least favourite of the trilogy. Note, for me, the best of the Banana Bunch is Curse. While I've always wondered what a third Monkey Island game from Gilbert, Grossman and Schaefer might actually have looked like, 
Curse is, for me, the definitive Monkey Island experience, and I was personally pleased with its immediate retconning and dismissal of its predecessor's polarising ending. Curse feels like the end of an era for LucasArts. I remember delighting in the game's UI innovations, particularly how it condensed the predecessor's verb charts into a dynamic wheel, and I couldn't believe that it had been cut from the genre by the time Escape came out. But then the adventure game was fading fast from the AAA space, and by then, uh, by then, and my own interests were shifting away to other types of games. Even now, I find it really hard to invest myself in modern point and clicks, which is part of the reason Curse feels so magical to me. It was the grand finale to a style of game that had propelled me into other new interests and passions. So yeah, does anyone else have feelings regarding? I guess Charlotte, you don't because you hadn't played the. Monkey Islands 1 and 2, but did anyone have feelings or opinions as regards to the change in development team, writing team, and the way that the adventure starts almost brushing aside the infamous end to Monkey Island 2? It does feel very different, and of course it looks different, but um, I, I grew up playing a lot of the humongous entertainment games as a child. And uh, course. <laughs> so this art style felt very familiar to me and this whole kind of way of engaging with the world, this kind of simplified, um, I mean, those games didn't even really have uh, verbiage, like every, every object, there was one way to interact with it. And so, you know, I, I do tend to like my point and clicks a little bit simpler than, uh, having the full kind of verb grid there. Um, mm. It feels like it kind of unnecessarily slows things down a little bit, but um, you know, so I, I was into this, uh, into the style, into the kind of promise of what they were delivering this. Uh, I, I will say that like, it does feel substantially different, like in tone and, you know, not just the art style, but like, like there was so much like kind of internal consistency between the first two games but um yeah. i think at this point like i by the uh by the time i i played this one i had already played tales as well and so right. you know i was really up for like anything um you know monkey island i feel like had the potential to be more than just a very specific style of, of adventure game and I, I had already kind of seen through telltale's work the kind of expanded potential and of the formula mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of like a, kind of like Assassin's Creed, like, you know, there are those old, old school, you know, Assassin's Creed one and two type of games. There's the kind of middle era of the, the boat type of games. Um, and then there's the kind of modern, like RPG ish yeah. action RPG type of game. And they all kind of fit under the umbrella. So, um, you know, I'm, I just kind of like, you know, why not? I'd, I'd love to see more people try their hand at uh, an interesting formula and basically it's like an opportunity to just like tell pirate jokes and that's okay <laughs> mm, Dan, i think it would um would have been around 2001 when i actually properly played the game similar to yourself so i think a lot of the uh sort of fan not outrage is not the right word but um fan concern about the changes in direction had kind of died off by then i do remember them from uh from pre-release time and there were uh, lucasart interviews that were trying to um in hindsight kind of trying to sort of temper that by uh sort of explaining things away a little um but when i first played the demo i thought genuinely thought it was really close to what I would have wanted from a Monkey Island game. That said, it would have been a few years since I'd played Monkey Island 2 at that point, so it might just be that 
that I'd softened and that the general mood of the internet and the gaming world had softened to it as well. But I don't know, for me, it's always felt like a sort of natural part of the series other than having to uh, sort of blind myself to the, the massive plot holes uh, regarding the ending of the second one. I understand the retcon of the ending because Gilbert had kind of painted them into a corner and only mm. he knows the secret of Monkey Island and only he knows where the story was going next in his head canonically. I'm often somebody who's quite, uh, I don't know if an apologist is the right word, but like I, I get frustrated with fans of things like Star Wars sort of talking about the modern films as if as if they could ever be anything other than fan fiction because once the creative the original creative talents from a series or franchise have moved on you can't either you let the franchise go with them and dissipate or you carry on doing it and you do the best that you can with it and sometimes it will work and sometimes it, it will work less well or not at all um and if only the original creators were only ever allowed to say write for a comic character all the marvel heroes all the dc heroes would have died decades ago so you have to be open i think to allowing this sort of thing to exist um but that said i feel like there was something about the the nature of the wit and whimsy in the first two games that is missing from this one. I feel like the first two games have a bit more of the Marx Brothers about them, whereas this one's a bit more like National Lampoon or something like that. As somebody who isn't really aware of what it was like before, except for maybe seeing the occasional screenshot of the older games, yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. get the sense that there was a history that was better. It, it seemed like it's, for me, as its own original story, it seemed pretty solid. Um, I think mm. we'll talk later. I think quite a few people had problems with the ending and I did as well. But the right. rest of it was, I didn't get the sense that it was following on from something and being disrespectful. It, mm. I, I could tell, and also from using a guide and what I gathered from reading the guide, that it made little nods to previous games and including oh, characters yeah. from the previous Very games. Much so. But it, yes. it was perfectly fine to pick up with uh, with that as the first game. And I... I I don't know. I wouldn't have thought that there was anything wrong with it unless I heard other people say there was something wrong with it. And the humor, yeah. maybe we'll talk about this more later, but I appreciated the slapstick kind of humor. Like the one thing that stands out for me is when um, you're catching the the boat with the Welshman. And sometimes if you walk onto screen with the, uh, I think it's the flying Welshman is the name of the boat. He's not the mm. Welshman. Um, mm -hmm. He's If you walk into the screen, you can notice he's like just pulls a sandwich out and starts eating it. Like as an mm -hmm. idle animation, it's just little things like that that are quite, you know, slapstick uh, sort of daft humor, which I really appreciated. I'd be interested to see what the humor in the previous two games is like, because I just found it really funny. I found Curse really, really funny. Good. Yeah, let's get more into the setting and scenario then. So according to the official blurb, this is an excerpt from the memoirs of Guybrush Threepwood, The Monkey Island Years says, I've sailed the seas from Trinidad to Tortuga and I've never seen anything like it. The engagement ring I gave Elaine has a terrible pirate curse on it. The chuck is behind it, I'm sure. I should have known that nothing good could come out of that evil zombie's treasures. And if that's not bad enough, the clairvoyant I met in the mangrove swamp told me that if I am to break the curse and save Elaine, I will have to die. Blue Weasel Breath from the forum says, I have such fun memories of the curse of Monkey Island. I loved the first game and played it into the ground, but could never find the second game in stores. Despite two being many people's favourite, it was but a stopover towards curse for me, and curse made much more of an impression on me. Played the game through a 
handful of times, first on regular mode and then on Mega Monkey, engaging in copious amounts of walkthrough consultation for both. I will also stand up and say that the introduction's brief hand-waving explanation, explication? of the end of Monkey 2's offbeat ending was fully sufficient for me and the best possible way to get out of the bizarre narrative corner that Ron Gilbert painted the series into. Sorry for precursing your comment with a paraphrase. (laughs) Blue weasel breath. Um, Yes, so we start on... uh, It's called Plunder Island, is that right? Yeah. But but it's the capital is uh, Chicken town or whatever puerto <laughs> polo chicken port uh yeah chicken harbor whatever you want to call it and the first yeah you've already mentioned so the demo involves uh, pretty much the first location actually the the entire of part one there are six parts it's divided up to divided up into and part one is basically two you're you're locked into first one puzzle room and then another so it's almost a tutorial without without holding your hands effectively so you have to kind of just get into the mindset of the the puzzle design things like cutting open a porthole with a diamond ring and uh, using a thing to reach another thing, cutting a rope to release a cannon. And that sort of, some of it seems quite logical and and some of it seems a little uh, less so. But overall, uh, over the course of the adventure, we visit, as usual, a set of islands, Blood Island, Skull Island, which is off the coast. And uh, we end up back at a big whoop, which is a kind of big island, dinky island, big island, monkey island, dinky island hybrid, which refers back to elements of the previous games. Uh, But that bit, as I'm sure we'll also talk about, is feels quite short and brief. Um, But yes, overall, do you think that the game sort of captures that? atmosphere that you want from a comedy piratical adventure i was impressed with how open it felt for once you get through the through the sort of opening sections that the um the main game feels a little more sort of free form that if you get a little stuck there's enough sort of either uh, sort of sideshow jokes and little nibbles of things or just getting a start on another puzzle and finding some new items that will no doubt help you a little further down the road now i don't know if I'm just forgetting how much I felt that in the earlier games or whether it's, I was just sort of slightly tricked by this feeling sort of like new and, and fresh, you know, but, um, but for me, yeah, I liked how, I don't know how, even though they had to have such a, a, so much more work going into every little element and of animation and that kind of thing, but there were still all of those uh, little jokes and hidden bits in there. This feels significantly different than the first two, which, at least in the kind of opening islands, um, took place at night. This is like a bright kind of daytime scene, which um, I, I know that there were kind of daytime uh, mm. elements in the previous games, but those tend to be kind of like ladder islands or or stuff like that. Yeah. And so it does kind of like slightly change the mood. Um, I think those kind of night, nighttime scenes previously were more kind of closely following on with the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at uh, Disneyland Park. And um, so I, I feel like this initial town and setting wasn't quite as memorable and full of life as the previous yeah. ones where you would see mm. pirates kind of lounging around and playing instruments and uh, yeah. just kind of living their lives. This town feels like weirdly deserted (laughs) there's no there's virtually no background characters and i think that's almost a price that's paid from the the presumably the 
inordinate cost of animating anyone in this rich Saturday morning cartoon style. Possibly, but even just somebody kind of sitting still, maybe having a little idle animation on a bench or something like that. Like that's just a couple more frames. Like in a fighting game background. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or even, you know, kind of pre-painted in like a Resident Evil or Final Fantasy background. But anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. it it does feel, it it feels strange. um, But I, I mean... Strange is kind of what Monkey Island thrives on, so I'm not going to hold that against it. But it does kind of lead to some kind of puzzling situations. Like if you walk into the theater, you know, they're rehearsing for a play, but then it's like, I haven't seen any other (laughs) humans in this town, which ends up not being a problem. But uh, it's kind of like, that's true. who perpetuates this economy? And why is this kid selling lemonade (laughs) if there's nobody in the town? And, you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird, but it's uh, it's easy enough to navigate. Uh, I guess with a couple of small exceptions, there's like a couple of screens I didn't even know existed until I had to like look them up. But anyways, um, easy enough to navigate the shortcuts between areas kind of like taking one door and ending up in the opposite side of town never really felt super necessary but uh it did feel like every area was memorable i knew how to get back to all the places i needed to so um i I think it did its trick yeah i think those those sort of door gags in themselves are very much sort of hark back to silent movies and things like that Mm. that it's a kind of slapstick joke unto itself we'll talk about the tech more but yes actually walking around is it's quite slow in this game, so sometimes I found those uh, those doors were were pleasing. Actually, but you could uh, double click if you're leaving the screen, and it'll instantly kind of warp you to the next screen. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. I've been I was using the Scum VM hack, which is Control F, mm. which uh, speeds basically gives you a final fan- a modern Final Fantasy release <laughs> style massive speed up. So I was using that to perambulate all the time, uh, which is. Just yeah, it was an option that wasn't available, but I assume that the the life hack you're talking about was. Uh, but yeah, there's some similar door shenanigans in the second one, weren't there as well? I think. Yes. Yeah, and the first. Yeah, yeah. There's one in town, which also made me think of. Yes, uh, Ryan's absolutely right. The the area of uh, Melee Island in the first game, where you go under the clock, and there's a clock tower here, and you can actually look at it, and it tells you the PC. Your your PC's <laughs> clock time, which is quite amusing. Dominic Armato obviously spent ages uh, reading out all the numbers. Um, in the first game, there were actually a couple of completely non-interactive sort of sprite characters that used to just bimble around in the town. Just enough, just enough to give that sense of an actual working inhabited environment and yes i think you're absolutely right ryan i hadn't really thought about it but apart from the chickens <laughs> there's no one here uh really i think trick is probably the right word then because i think i've been fooled by the detail in <laughs> just how things look kind of making me not even sort of realize <laughs> like yeah just not notice that it is emptier like i'm sure if i went back and played sort of one, two, three, back to back, it would probably hit me straight in the face. But but again, the sort of lavish production, I think, has uh, yeah, sort of blinded me to. Let's get into the visuals. So Jonathan Ackley, who worked on the game as a designer, wasn't actually part of the art team. The art team was uh, Larry Ahern and Bill Tiller. Uh, I think one of them was chiefly in charge of the backdrops. And I think that's Larry Ahern and Bill Tiller, more the 
the cartoon art. Forgive me if I've got that the wrong way around. Yeah, I think Bill Tiller's the background guy from this little bit. Oh, okay. Um, yes, so there's. I've got the book, the excellent book, Rogue Leaders, which is the sort of LucasArts uh, history book from, uh, yeah, which traces the entire of the Lucasfilm Games uh, era. Uh, it's only got one entry on Curse of Monkey Island, which is a double page uh, spread of storyboards, which is quite nice, but it doesn't doesn't add a lot to uh, my research <laughs> for an audio medium anyway. Jonathan Ackley anyway says the first step to improving the graphics quality, I assume over previous games, was to upgrade our game engine to support then high resolution graphics of 640 by 480, a huge improvement over the rectangular pixels of 320 by 200. Uh, oh, here we go. When Monkey's lead background artist, Bill Tiller, who had done such a phenomenal job doing low res backgrounds on The Dig, showed us what we could do at a higher resolution, we were all completely blown away. Our animation technology improved as well. Until recently, adventure game characters had to be drawn on the computer instead of paper. This technical limitation tended to make the characters blockier, smaller and less expressive than comparable animations you might see in an animated film. We wanted to give our animators, led by Mark Overney, the tools to do film quality work. So we worked with our ink and paint led lead, Kim Balistreri, to develop a method of getting hand-drawn, fully anti-aliased animations into the game while still maintaining the level of interactivity found in previous LucasArts adventures. So yeah, we will remember that the scanned-in backdrops for Monkey Island 2, albeit at that much lower resolution, were there compared to the original Monkey Island where it was sort of, you know, digital deluxe paint type uh, affairs. Very effective to my young 18-year-old mind or whatever when I first played the game. But those scanned-in backdrops, albeit now perhaps have aged somewhat worse uh, in some ways. Uh, here we're another, we've doubled the resolution again, although there are some signs of age in terms of pixels and artifacts and colour grading and stuff. Uh, I still think actually the the art here, both background actually and foreground, despite the resolution, holds up really quite well. Mm, I'm going to disagree with that. I, I'm going to say that I love the art style here. But um, I feel like when you're playing Monkey Island 1 and 2 and looking at those kind of very pixelated graphical styles, it's such like a unique style in and of itself that, um, you know, even if you weren't playing with a special edition repainted everything, if you were just playing with the original graphics, like it, you know, it feels very uh, impressionistic and it uh, it does a good job of conveying the characters and the space and everything just and it feels very singular whereas this one because it emulates actual you know television cartoons that you're used to seeing so much more closely the ways in which the technology let it down years on are more apparent to me than something that feels so kind of singular yeah. in its presentational style and so i i love the animation i think it's great but i think that this game would benefit from a redrawn or rescanned special edition more than oh, the yeah. previous two games. I mean, despite what I just said, I completely agree with you, Ryan. And there is a uh, there is a uh, an AI upscaled version oh, on really? YouTube of of the intro. Yes, uh, I've linked it in the uh, in our document here. You can check that out for yourself later. It's fantastic, actually, isn't it? Uh, and it yeah, it looks beautiful. Yeah. There's also someone doing a demate of Curse of Monkey Island <laughs> into the original game styles. Oh, wow. Now that I'd like to see. Yeah, they've only Be done a demo so far. So I don't know if it's one of those things where they just do the demo as kind of a 
sort of little hobby project or whether mm. it's a demo towards something else. But um, yeah, it's worth a little peek. Huh. My opinion on it's somewhere in the middle. I I think it looks attractive, but you can tell it's an older game. I don't think it's timeless. It's aged slightly, but you can sort of appreciate it for what it is, I think. At least how it looked when I played it on... Uh, so I played it on Scum VM on yes. a fairly rubbish laptop. Um, okay. Yeah, it looked it looked pretty good for what it was, but you could mm. tell that it's of that era. Yeah, I wonder if we have the technology now. If we were to do kind of a special edition of this, if we could kind of future proof it mm. in a way. Mm. Mm. You know, I just think about like Cuphead and how good that looks at doing <laughs> it, it kind of similar types of things. Um, I like. I wonder if there are ways to kind of vectorize the shapes or. You know, so that yeah. as resolutions continue to upscale over the years, we won't, you know, be back here in another 25 years looking back at a special edition and thinking that that one doesn't yeah. hold up then either. Yeah, but also on the other hand, you, you've got a comparison for this with Day of the Tentacle that you can play uh, the PS4 version, at least you can play it mm -hmm. with old graphics or new graphics. Mm -hmm. And there yeah. are probably plenty of people who would rather play it with the old graphics just for the nostalgia feel. Mm -hmm. So there's, Certainly. Yeah, there's always yeah. going to be people who won't actually want any sort of repainting or yeah. redoing of anything. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And I think maybe the, the way that curse looks is part of the reason we haven't seen a, a version but then yes we did have the day of the tentacle but that's a that's a slightly different case because it's it was an earlier game than monkey island so it was uh, curse monkey island so it was more they were doing a similar job to it i think to, that uh you know those um monkey one and two re uh, remasters the special editions mm, special editions yeah. like i i feel like those came right at the very tail end of disney wanting to have anything to do with video games and so I, I wonder if Disney had been more kind of like, because they own LucasArts and um, that whole you right. know, genre yeah. of works there. And so I wonder if they had been more kind of interested in pursuing a video game future if those projects would have continued forward. Um, we've seen yeah. Tim Schafer in uh, yes. Double Fine kind of rescue a couple of the, his kind of pet projects that he worked on yep. whilst uh, LucasArts. Yep. But um, yeah. Yeah, seeing that he was kind of farther down in the credits on this one, I don't think that he's as closely like emotionally attached to this project. So no, it would really have to come not. out of Disney for a remaster to be made. And we also know from that Grim Fandango special edition and also on a tangent, uh, Capcom's Resident Evil remake HD version that actually taking those pre-rendered backdrops is a very different matter and also mm. not to be taken lightly compared to what would need to be done here, which is to take hand-drawn and scanned images and upscale those now as we've as i say there's a link you can look at the intro which and it's ai done and it seems to do an, a magnificent job whether it's possible to do that for the whole game as an interactive thing i don't know uh, but whether it's an easy thing an expensive thing something that needs a lot of manual intervention as well as ai work it's yeah who knows but it is it is sort of curious that this game is still really only available on pc as in uh, windows and mac os after all these years there's literally never been another way to play it probably the closest thing to show what it um it may have looked like would be possibly full throttle hd which is probably the right. closest yeah. original source material to curse yeah. of monkey island in terms yeah. of an upgrade certainly suggests it's not inconceivable but uh, whether there's the appetite or the market for it or yes even the fact that disney probably owns curse of monkey island and doesn't want to make any games it does just doesn't seem very likely but it is on good old games somebody's making a few quid out of it every time it sells don't know exactly who <laughs> uh, mechner from the forum says the bill tiller 
Led art style is excellent. I do remember being taken aback at how lanky and weird Guybrush looked, and it is a bone of contention among OG fans. But it has a near Saturday morning cartoon level of style and charm that had me won over rather quickly. I can see it for how artful and interesting it is. The backgrounds are absolutely gorgeous and still hold up to scrutiny of any modern point and clicker. Yeah, my I think the signature thing about the graphics here are the clouds, the curly clouds, the very stylized. That was the thing that I noticed from the start, and that was my the thing I really liked about the visuals. But I did always, as sort of Charlotte was alluding to, as an OG fan of Monkeys One and Two, I was a little bit taken aback at the hyper stylization of the characters. These characters that I'd already seen rendered in these little pixels. And actually, there is something about the, that very limited animation that they had in the same way as in 16-bit JRPGs. Characters just used to nod their heads or shake their heads or jump up and down to denote excitement. That You could impart a lot on those figures with that, that lack of information. And now here, having the whole thing kind of played out to you like it's a cartoon in some ways almost takes away from the experience. So Stan didn't have any favors done for him during the transition, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's he's still got the same kind of suit idea going Mm. on. (laughs) But yeah, the, yes, it's sort of a bit more, whereas he was kind of hilarious in those first two games. Here it looks, yeah, kind of slightly weird and unnerving. I found Stan really funny, especially... Um, I've gathered that in the old versions he did, uh, in the older games he did this as well, but how he just waves his arms around everywhere. I I really, I I thought that was really visually striking and there's definitely really visually striking scenes from the game, like um, when the pirates who perform Shakespeare, but with a a nautical twist on (laughs) Shakespeare, when they do the the proper rehearsal and all of the monkeys are in the audience and just... Waving, waving their arms around and jumping about. I thought that was really striking. So there are definite moments to it where this hyper-stylized feel does have a, a really strong effect, I think. Those monkeys look so different to any of the monkeys in the previous games as mm-hmm. well. Like They look like kind of, yeah, proper, like, again, US TV cartoon, maybe not even US, just, just Western cartoon monkeys, whereas the monkeys in the earlier games were... To know how would you describe them? They were different. Yeah, they were cutesy, they were, pixely jobbies. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's obviously it's this is a an audio medium. It's very hard to put it all into words. But suffice to say, the art style changed dramatically, and in many ways, it's really striking how much of a leap forward it was. Like, yeah, double the resolution. Uh, but yes, it's interesting. I played it on a on my 1080p monitor. Uh, which I understand is still what most people have, despite the the sort of move to 1440 and beyond. Uh, And yes, there are, it does, it does render it a little rough around the edges and probably the larger the screen you have, the more you're going to notice the, the sort of the jaggedness and the, and the the roughness. But, um, but yeah. On Guybrush's design, uh, since I came to this one Mm. kind of relatively late in the series, uh, um, you know, jumping around in the chronology a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like the original Monkey Island designs, I love the sprites. I don't like the realistic face during close-ups and stuff like that. Like that never really <laughs> yeah. sat with me um, with That's the kind of Monkey Island style. I, I feel yeah. like my kind of ideal three-foot is kind of somewhere in between Curse and the special edition of Monkey 2. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I had 
come to this one after playing Tales of Monkey Island, which like I'm not going to speak ill of that game. Like it's kind of a forgotten game at this point, but like there was plenty of good things about it. But like Guybrush's look was pretty garish. (laughs) Okay, again, those games are on the list, along with all the other Telltale games that we haven't covered. And it would be an interesting place to go after if we do escape from Monkey Island, if I can face playing that game again. Uh, But Yes, we don't always just pick the good games, but sometimes we don't fancy playing the ones we didn't like the first time around. So we shall see. There are also lots of other Lucas games and we do hear you, listener. We've had a few people saying we'd like you to cover more. Well, we've done a few. Who knows what the future may bring? Dr. Raphael from the forum says, I remember being blown away by the Saturday morning cartoon visuals and fully voiced dialogue. It must have been the first CD-ROM game I'd spent any real time with, Mind Maze from Microsoft's Encarta notwithstanding, and it defied the expectations of a short lifetime of cartridge-based console gaming had given me. At the time, I'm sure a game half as good with jokes nowhere near as funny would still have been just as captivating if it looked like this. Before going back to it more recently, I was worried that the Ultra HD upscaler that sits in my brain's nostalgia centre would mean that what I remembered was uh, what I remembered as literally playing a TV quality cartoon would turn out to be an unreadable, blurry mess. In reality, I think the game still looks pretty amazing, even without my childhood imagination to plaster over the cracks. It's also vibrant and lively. The characters ooze personality, which more than makes up for their limited animations. The animations that are there are impactful and fun. I was slightly obsessed with Stan's static jacket and erratic movements when I first encountered him. The outlines of things can be a little thin, and there are some jaggies here and there on higher res screens, but they are easy to forgive, says Dr. Raphael. And... Ashman86 says a lot of my love for the game comes down to its art and audio direction. I love the game's swirly clouds and Disney-esque animation. And Dominic Armato's performance as Guybrush Threetwood taught me just how much of an impact an actor could have on comedy. It informed how I read Guybrush in the earlier unvoiced games as they were then. And I've always found those games funnier post-curse as a result. I think it's funny that um, Western animation seems to be a common theme in uh, lots of people's memories of this. But I've always mm. had a feeling of um, sort of Eastern European animation almost. Oh, or, yeah. Or, uh, a touch of the, yeah. Or a touch of a Sylvan, Sylvan Chamey. I know this is pre-Belleville um, oh, Rendezvous, yeah. but he'd already had uh, The Old yeah. Woman and the Pigeons by that point. Yeah. And the sort of the grotesque elements that Ryan mentions from the cutscenes of the earlier mm. games, um, I think they've sort of transferred that grotesqueness into the, yeah, the sort of European cartoony look totally see what you're saying with that yeah yeah you're absolutely right so yeah on to the audio so yes the games although they went back and re-voiced the previous games for cd and the special editions with almost the same cast i believe almost i think i think they got everyone pretty much uh this was the first time at the time these characters had been given actual voices dominic armato has kind of gone down as the only, the one and only, the definitive Guybrush Threepwood. And really looking at his CV, that is pretty much what he does. He does appear in some other games, often as a background artist, uh, you know, extras and unnamed characters and things like that. But really, compared to the other uh, actors in this, the legendary Alan Young is in this game as Haggis McMutton, the man who played Scrooge McDuck, had his own TV show in the 50s, um, was Seven Zark Seven for those of us who grew up in Britain in the seventies, the uh, the Battle of the Planets robot, and also it had Gary Coleman, the late Gary Coleman from Different Strokes. It has Earl Bowen as LeChuck, who I think is just great. If you don't know who that is, 
if you've ever seen the Terminator, he's the psychiatrist uh, in both Terminator 1 and 2. Uh, and yeah, a load of really well-known, well-starred voice actors from from history um, and yeah, from animation and, uh, and also some, some well-known live action actors too. And I think, yeah, as much as again, I, I guess it's, it, it, to me at the time, it felt like that thing where after you've read a book and you watch the film adaptation and nobody looks like you had in your mind's eye, I was a bit like that with the voices at first, but now I've played the old games with the voices and played this through a couple of times i'm pretty happy with most of the voice casting and uh there was i don't think there was a performance in the game that i thought i didn't enjoy i particularly enjoyed gary coleman's kenny and the voodoo lady uh who is played by i can't remember actually alexandra boyd as elaine gets virtually nothing to do we'll talk about that leilani jones is the voodoo lady uh yeah so how does everyone else feel about the the voice acting in this game I'll say that Dominic is uh, brilliant in this role. Like it's such a such a hard task to play a character and infuse like a very specific inflection that assures the audience that you know that ninety percent of your jokes are falling flat, like intentionally, because your character is such like a, a you know dweeby dork. But like still making the character so like just lovable have that edge of uh kind of try hardness which is entirely necessary for the character and to have like just that little that little glimmer of um of believability as a pirate that uh you know it's like everything just about this character uh and um the way that he's written feel like such a specific and tight rope balancing act that i i can't even imagine where I would start as an actor. Um, you know, this sounds like such a naturalistic performance. This could be not to undercut the, uh, the acting work that he's doing here, but this could be pretty close to his real voice. I don't know. I've not heard him speak otherwise. Yeah. But I think um, it is. Yeah. Like, I don't know whether it was, uh, I mean, he is, he's doing a great job acting. It could also just be like a supreme job of casting, but, uh, I, I just, I really can't imagine anyone else kind of threading that, very specific needle so tightly yeah he i don't think he'd done much before this he'd done a couple of cartoons ah uh, real monsters he played a, a character called mike and he was a kid in uh, an episode of chicago hope but this was uh, this was his third credit at the time i think the fact that his uh, his voice and performance works so well in the jokes in the talky editions of the earlier ones really gets across how mm. As Ryan says, it's absolutely pitched perfectly to the character that that even in hindsight, the voice fits jokes that were written way before his performance was kind of set in stone. And yet it still feels like the two things were kind of made for each other. Charlotte, any thoughts? Obviously, you didn't have the, the silent, you, you're not old enough for the silent movies that came before. Um, yeah, I I liked uh, Guy Streetwood's voice. It's hard to imagine him sounding any different or not even having a voice, which I think speaks for the for the yeah. quality of the performance. I think quite a few others stood out for me. So I, I obviously really liked Murray because I decided mm, to <laughs> yeah, mimic, mimic him during the intro. Um, he, he did seem like a very sort of comical, wants to be evil, but doesn't quite pull it off kind of character, which I always appreciate. And same to an extent with LeChuck. And 
the reason I felt that way is because of how strong the voice acting was. Um, and also, yeah, uh, Kenny really stood out for me as well. Kenny was just like this little pipsqueak of a character who's, uh, you know, trying to scam you with lemonade. Uh, it's a really fun character. And I had no idea that Gary Coleman voiced him. No. Not he's at slightly all. Pitched, he's slightly pitched up, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was only, uh, yeah, it was, it was a few years before his death. He died in 2010. But um, yeah, obviously his career was, you know, kind of in an interesting place after being a, a kind of a child star, but not really. Uh, I don't know how much, I think he did, I think he did some other game and cartoon work um, in those years. But yeah, it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just immediately think, oh, well, that's Arnold from different strokes uh, with the, with the pitching and the, and the, the characterization on the voice. He's, uh, yeah, he's quite a funny little snot-nosed performance. I love it when he shouts for his mom when he, when, whenever he gets a sale. <laughs> yeah. But what really surprises me though, is it's, I can't even really think of a bad bad voice performance in the entire game which considering mm. that era what some of the performances in games totally, were like yeah yeah like even yeah. like when you're doing the uh, sword fights every single pirate that you have a sword fight with has a really fun sort of individual voice and mm. it all works really well as a sort of yeah. ensemble piece yeah there's quite uh there's a number of uh people cast uh, there's you know there's some some lower down the cast list if you look on IMDb who just did the odd extra voice here and there obviously is also of the era as they did and do in cartoons some characters are voiced by uh, multiple characters by the same actor that kind of thing but yeah i think i think you're absolutely right and yes it is we've We've been, I think we, we got some criticism from Shenmue fans and possibly even Resident Evil fans at the time for being so harsh on the voice performances in those games. Obviously, we understand that those were Japanese games that were either localized or recorded in English. And so there is an element there. But when you compare the voice acting in this, even compared to other Western games of the time, maybe with the exception of Broken Sword, Shadow of the Templars, which is another Western game we covered, uh, another point and click adventure from the same year that we covered or slightly before actually there were some even well beyond this there were many games with some really by modern standards quite embarrassing voice acting performances from either individual actors or entire casts but here we are in 1997 with yeah cartoon quality voice cast of proper actors it's really a good 10 years after this that we started to get to the point where you didn't really have to worry too much about voice <laughs> acting taking you out of a game, really. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can I just uh, mention Toonstruck as being one other that fits the bill as well for the <laughs> for the same era and the great cartoon uh, voice Yeah, over. Christopher Lloyd. And uh, yes, that's available on Good Old Games as well. Uh, and it's uh, it's another one that's on our list of interesting games to cover someday for sure. Of course, being Monkey Island... We can't not talk about the music. Ashman86 says, Oh, how I love Michael Land's score for this game. It's often whimsical, sometimes mournful, and nearly always memorably melodic. To this day, I still hum the themes to Puerto Polo's various locations. I'm especially fond of the barbershop's flavour and Blood Island's themes, particularly the one that accompanies the Good Soup Family Hotel still leaves me feeling melancholic. I also still sometimes blurt out, we'll surely avoid scurvy if we all eat an orange. Yeah, this game not only has uh, music, but it has musical numbers. So yeah, I just wanted to say that, yes, I think the music's pretty lovely, although you can tell it's kind of, even if you download it on a modern system, obviously it's all still kind of compressed as it would have been, I guess, to fit it on a CD at the time. I'm not even sure it's streamed off the CD. 
it doesn't sound perhaps quite as rich and lush in terms of production as it could do, but in terms of composition and instruments and music uh, compared to the kind of beeps that had come before that were really only kind of brought to the fore with the special editions in some ways. I mean, I really loved the music to the first two games in this series. And I think because I started playing this one when I was that much older, I was like almost 10 years older when I first played through Curse compared to when I first played through The Secret of Monkey Island. And I think that made a difference to my entire relationship with the game. But um, but playing through it again now and with my Sound of Player hat on, I think there's some pretty, yeah, pretty outstanding compositions in here. There's some nice music, but I'll say that it didn't stand out to me as much as the first two games music did. Um, there are oh, okay. a lot of specific tunes that I can recall from Monkey 1 and 2, but uh, this one, the only piece of music that I can really kind of like conjure up out of nowhere in my head is uh, the uh, um, musical number on the boat. Um, and that's mm. kind of a separate mm. thing entirely, but it never came across as bad and it always felt very complimentary to what was happening. And so like, I don't want to speak ill of it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just not really having those same kind of like memories as I did with the first two. That's interesting. I thought it was my age. No pun intended, but I'm in the same boat as well. So. Uh, okay. Again, Charlotte stands as the outlier here with a lack of nostalgia of ex- for experience of the earlier games in the series. So did the, did the music stand out for you, impress you? Attraction. I wouldn't say it stood out for me. It was good, but it was sort of a seven out of 10. Like it was nice enough to listen to and I never got sick of it on repeat, which I, again, I think is actually says quite a lot for it. True. Yeah. But mm. it's not something that I'd go away and listen to outside of playing the game, to be honest. Mm. See, I was actually wondering, I was sort of second guessing myself until hearing you all say that I, I was almost, I wasn't being disingenuous, but I was sort of flying with Ashman's enthusiasm assuming that there was maybe that maybe this the ost to this game was more of a grower and maybe because it wasn't so you when you play the original on the amiga chris Hulsbeck did the translation of the music from the original pc beeps but still they were 1990 style computer beeps and so i thought maybe it was just because of that presentation that they bore that bored their way into my skull but maybe maybe they were just more memorable tunes i don't know mechner from the forum is as enthusiastic as ashman 86 where we are not as enthusiastic mechner says michael land's themes and music truly come into their own here with expert help from clint pajakian and peter mcconnell the music finally feels fully realized easily surpassing that of many hollywood blockbuster scores it is an integral part of the game, often helping in storytelling and creating atmosphere, along with a hilarious puzzle-based A Pirate I Was Meant to Be musical number, <laughs> for good measure. The music is full of nostalgic instrumentation and a youthful pirate-like sense of adventure and energy, though it also has an overarching heavy feeling of melancholy, which penetrates every aspect of this game, in my opinion, especially in the introduction music before the theme kicks in and in the outro piece, as our characters essentially ride off into the sunset to continue their adventures without us. There's another mention of this melancholy sense that people perceive from Curse. I do I get that? I'm not sure I do. If anything, I thought this one was more kind of light and fluffy than the predecessors. Uh, how do you folks feel about that? Musically or just the general tone or the combination? I'm, I'm struggling to find any point where I felt sad. <laughs> I, I don't know if it, maybe if you had 
the background of of knowing the the context of what the characters are doing, but I can't remember mm. any particularly. Mm. <laughs> Maybe when Minestrone was talking about her history, and then when she gets together with the the other skeleton, maybe that was kind of a little bit of a a mild tear tear jerker. Yeah. But not really, not so much. I'm not getting the sort of uh, the Majora's Mask kind of vibe that it sounds like some of our correspondents did from this game. I think the entire series has kind of a reckoning with death um, True. kind of throughout, yeah. probably necessary to any kind of pirate fiction. Uh, but really, I mean, it in this one, you know, you aren't... Um, the, the previous one did involve actually kind of exhuming corpses and uh it being a little bit more yeah. kind of grim this one felt mm. you know a little bit more like the goonies where like death is there in the distance but uh it mm. it, it, it never got in front of the kind of like more kind of fun atmosphere that it was trying to put forward yeah i think there's a sort of a, an aesthetic uh lean in towards um, i don't know if melancholy is the right word but kind of that sort of uh oddness and uh, a slightly uh, pastelish, purplish are the colours of the, mm. like God. I'm going with synesthetic on you, <laughs> on you now. But um, yeah, I like but, it. but that kind of feel. Um, but again, as Ryan says, I think that's tempered by the sheer silliness and humour that kind of uh, juxtaposes with that. It's interesting. So one of the resources I looked at in research for this show was uh, there aren't actually there's not a huge amount of essays and video documentaries, pions. Uh, Retro reviews. There's a few, but there's not a lot. But I found one video from uh, a guy who's called something like Space Quest Expert or something like that. He's obviously a point and click enthusiast, a Space Quest historian. And the video is called Why Curse of Monkey Island is a terrible Monkey Island sequel, because that's how you have to name your videos. And actually, I didn't agree with everything he said. Of course, the video title is more clickbaity than the video. And he's essentially quite complimentary about Curse of Monkey Island as a standalone point and click adventure. But he makes a lot of points about why he is of the opinion that it doesn't work well as a sequel. Now, some of that, as I say, some of it I agree with, some of it I don't. The one thing I was very, very much in agreement of with is that LeChuck in this game is utterly neutered. Like LeChuck legitimately, mm. even though he was a comedy villain in the first one, he's a ghost in the second one, he's a zombie and the things he says and the things he does and the way you defeat him kind of creep me out in very, at various points in various ways, right down to the fact that, that the confrontation at the end of Monkey Island 2 really used to, stressed me out quite a bit even though you couldn't die as such you just got moved around maybe it was the thought of the amiga loading times that was made it most scary but but here he's just a bit of a sap with a fire beard and the voice acting Earl bowens is tremendous but i think what he actually gets to say and do is for me rather meek i think they just aren't the same stakes all around which um obviously the story just doesn't, I don't know, seem to me as much about a sort of a life and death situation. It just seems a more, I, I know this is the, the main point of the curse and and the ring and what have you, but it all seems a bit, I suppose, as, as others have said about the visual look, Saturday morning cartoon, it just feels a bit like sort of da-da-da-da-da-da-da rather than everything having this sort of like a yeah. sort of Damocles above you that you have to, that you like that there's an element of uh, danger involved. There's a, the curse is transient. So Elaine, we haven't said, but Elaine gets turned into a gold statue right at the beginning of the game. The quest is to free her, as the as the scenario blurb told us. But there's no suggestion that it's permanent. There's no clock ticking, right? 
I, I do like the implication that um, this was the ring that LeChuck intended to use, kind of literally making her a trophy wife uh, in that uh, his intention <laughs> yeah. was to encase her in gold and keep her as a part of his uh, treasure fleet. And, uh, you know, it was um, Guybrush stealing the ring from him and thinking, oh, this is a pretty nice ring. I'll just go ahead and use this myself, uh, which is kind of a like a, a kind of despicable thing to do. You know, they say you should, uh, you know, for engagement rings, like you spend, what is it, what, one month pay on it? And uh, <laughs> the fact that he stole this from an enemy who was also intending to use it to propose to the same woman is already kind of a slimy move. And so I do like the the kind of like, irony the kind of like you know greek myth irony of the situation in a way so that aspect of it is like a little scary about lechuk but like everything else about him like he was so scary in the first couple games and i think they kind of go on to correct for this in later titles as well like in the tales he he kind of assumes a more kind of threatening position again which is kind of um flipped on its head through a later development in the story which wouldn't Mm. have worked if he wasn't this kind of you know all-powerful uh you know sea wizard ghost in a way at this point and so i i do kind of miss the threat of him and the fact that like the final confrontation with him feels relatively neutered at least on the normal mode i don't know if they stepped it up in uh in mad monkey or whatever it was but um i I do love his design (laughs) and i'm thrilled that he kind of like a gruntilda from the banjo kazooie series every single game like they have a brand new look and it always just like completely kicks ass and i like i can't judge which lechuk i like the best like i think they all have something great going for them and i suppose the other thing regarding that is uh and i I think this would be a point even if you were to not take the the sort of the political aspect of this but just purely as a character issue and a storytelling issue the fact that elaine who is a cracking character and much loved from the first two games is effectively completely written out of this one she she becomes a uh, a, both a damsel and distress and a macguffin and nothing else uh, is kind of lame, I think, and disappointing. Yeah, I found it quite disappointing how I think it would have been funnier if Guybrush went through all that and then she just pushed him away. <laughs> well, totally, yeah. It definitely came up in, in the previous games. Why does why does Elaine actually have any romantic leaning towards Guybrush? It's funny in the first game, for sure. In the second game, you can tell that she's starting to pity him and friend zone him <laughs> at best another of the criticisms that uh, that the the video uh, from space quest historian has and i don't know if this is for me it's a legitimate criticism because the game is an absurdist comedy but guybrush is also a sociopath so he uh, i understand his 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 definition of guybrush as having those character traits are borne out in the game by him doing things like hammering a man into a coffin and leaving him there uh, <laughs> and various other kind of things that cause enormous amounts of pain and distress to other people while he continues his merry way and i suppose there are big conversations to be had about why uh, why why those why absurdist comedies have those kinds of lead characters, whether there is anything more complex and sinister about why we find those funny or we don't, whether it's something we actually need to address or whether it's just a laugh and we should just get over it. But, um, but it does 
it does sit at odds that yes, uh, in the end, she comes out of the curse, and there is no. I mean, there, there is literally no ceremony. They are married. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too keen on that. That's what I was alluding to when I said I wasn't too sure. pleased with the ending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll come back to that. But uh, in the meantime, actually, this is a really important point that uh, Dan has uh, requested that we talk about. And I think it's a, it's definitely a good thing to talk about. I'm, I think we did talk about it with the predecessors as well. And I think the age at which you come to these games will be relevant. Obviously, sense of humour is one of the most subjective things. Uh, I think I found the first two games funnier when I was 18 and 20 and whatever, when I first played them than I do now, but they still charm me. This game I first played when I was 30-ish, whatever, and playing it again now at 48. I think there is a difference, as I said earlier, in the in the type of humour in this game. There's still lots of uh, non sequiturs and a few surrealist bits, but a lot of uh, anachronisms are probably the probably the thing they lean on the most in terms of making gags. And my overall feel on the game is it funny? Is it's mildly amusing? Yeah, it's like it's nice. It didn't it didn't offend me. I don't I don't I think maybe I laughed out loud once. Generally, it was just a kind of you know just the corner of my mouth just perked up slightly. It's that sort of level. How about for the rest of you? Oh, no, I found it really funny. Oh, cool. I think what rescued Curse for me actually was that I was getting a bit fed up of it after Puerto de Polo. Right. And then we had the bit in the middle with the uh, sword fighting and that just sort of changed my mood about the game uh, okay. very quickly. And the, you know, the sort of backwards and forwards with uh, just silly lines like, I know it's it's a bit outdated, but the, it's still funny when they make comparisons with like, oh, your girlfriend looks like a monkey in a negligee. I I, <laughs> I don't know why, but it just made me laugh. It's it's just daft, you know. Yeah. And um, just just it, it had a lot of childish humor that just seemed to fit it really well. And because it fits so well, even though it's I know it's childish, it still made yeah. me laugh. Um, and like I said, I said earlier, a lot of slapstick stuff and stuff like. Just really silly stuff like you have to solve one puzzle by wearing a mask carved out of a big block of tofu yeah. and that the volcano is lactose intolerant. Yeah. It's it just just little little silly little things like that that just uh, felt really subtle, but also slapped you in the face with how over the top cheesy, to pardon the pun. Sure. They were. And I just, just found it genuinely funny. And I think that's what actually rescued it at times and got me through it, even though I don't like point and click adventures that much. <laughs> Ryan, were you lactose intolerant to this game's cheese? <laughs> um, I, uh, I I didn't find this to be like one of the like funniest games that I've ever played, but like I still found it to be really enjoyable. Um, you know, I wasn't laughing out loud the entire time, but there was enough in there where I was just like really just kind of having a very uh, very pleasant very pleasant time. Yeah. Um, exploring. I love the kid who sells you the guns. I love the weird Jenny. agent that you have to peel off his back skin and use that as a map and uh of course the song on Babe. the um on the ship uh, i love all the the rhyming in the insult sword fights now um yep. I, I feel like if anything my criticism would be that there's a lot of premises set up that only kind of get one punchline when it feels like mm. there's so many kind of seeds sown throughout the game that you know, 
that could have come back multiple times kind of again and again, or could have been more kind of richly developed um, that uh, that weren't. Like in particular, we've already mentioned him in here that uh, Murray, the demonic talking skull, is a uh, really funny character. And I was surprised in replaying it how little he's in the game. Um, he's mm. you really only kind yeah. of interact with him in a handful of like very specific moments. Mm. And uh, I remembered him as really kind of looming so much larger over my Same. experience with this game. And maybe that's due to he is brought back in uh, Tales of Monkey Island. And uh, yeah, there's one episode in particular where he plays a very large role. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed his character in Tales and especially playing that before coming back to Curse. Um, it's uh, yeah, I was just surprised at how on one hand, like I appreciate a little bit of restraint and I appreciate them not driving jokes into the ground, you know, kind of having that <laughs> more kind of like throwing darts at a wide variety of things, the mystery science theater style of humor. But yeah. on the other hand, like it just feels like you've done so much work to set the stage. Like why not let the field grow a little bit more, you know? It's interesting you should say that about Murray because apparently he was only originally in the first part of the game, but mm. because he went down well with the team and anyone who was playtesting that he was brought back in a couple of later scenes. But again, our criticism video that I, to which I'm referring, uh, he feels that the the one joke that Murray has, which is that he's a scary demonic skull and he needs legs to get anywhere, he he felt that that joke was absolutely worn into the ground. I didn't really feel like that. It was like, it's a running gag, right? I've been recording the same Halloween special for Sound of Play for the past well, five years, true. so I am unwilling to take that criticism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many years? It feels like more. That's um, probably true. I think with me, though, it's like it was very scattershot and it tried to do a lot of different things with the humour, but um, some of them just really landed so well that it didn't personally bother me. Like, I... I've already mentioned it, but I really enjoyed the whole uh, Shakespeare, yeah. Shakespeare, but nautical. It's just a variety <laughs> of different stuff and just like one-liners, but that was perfectly enjoyable to me. Contemporarily, uh, I've always looked at it as kind of this is the sort of peak Simpsons time when oh, yeah. we're at the time where there's like so many classic Simpsons episodes and that style of humour was starting to sort of knock on to not only other cartoons, but from this and other things, uh, from video games and and whatnot, and uh, I don't know, that, that style of humour that reminds me a little bit of, say, Naked Gun. I think I might have even mentioned that in the uh, Monkey yeah, Island 2 episode. Yeah, Zucker, Abraham Zucker. Yeah, where stuff, it just throws yeah. so many jokes at you. That, um, a bit like Charlotte says, where there's there's puns, there's non-secretaires, there's so many different styles that if you don't like this joke or the next joke, don't worry, in like two minutes' time, <laughs> there'll be another one coming that you will like. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Perhaps this has a higher joke density than the previous games, maybe? I don't know, yeah. Feels like the puzzles are a bit easier, so you're going to be advancing through the story quicker anyways. Do you think? Ah, well, we'll get on to that. Let's hear from a couple of correspondents on the the matter at hand. The Baboon Baron from the forum says, The move to CD-ROM allowed for a full voice cast, a transition they handled very well with some excellent performances. But the most important part of Monkey 3 is Murray. The inclusion of the evil demonic skull into the main cast of the series was a masterstroke. Near Pixar levels of characterization from a skull with virtually no moving parts. I still quote Murray more than I quote philosophers or historical figures. <laughs> the quotable Murray was the coffee table book that never was. So much do I love this skull. He makes up part of the tattoo on my arm. Let's hope no one tries to remove it from me with cooking oil, eh? <laughs> um, 
that's so many times we've had correspondents or guests who have got a tattoo from the game that we're talking about, which uh, for me, as a completely untattooed person, that does demonstrate a, a kind of next level of commitment and, and passion for something. Blue Weasel Breath says, Decades later, some of the lines from this game are still stuck in my head and I think of them regularly. One is the snow cone pitch by the unhygienic carnival vendor, a nicer version of an extremely vulgar Cheech Marin routine from In From Dust Till Dawn. The tight release timing make, makes it potentially coincidence, but there are some similarities. Another is when Guybrush asks Cutthroat Bill if his job is fun. Greg Berger's brilliant deadpan delivery of the line, I get giddy and the laughter bubbles out of me like a sparkling fountain of mirth and gaiety, has popped into my head literally every month for the last 20 years. Uh, that's funnier than the game actually I've just remembered what I found really funny um, and it's sort of along a similar line it's like just something that sort of I don't know if it was even meant to be funny but it's like the fact that Stan had business cards on him when he got nailed into the coffin it's <laughs> like I, I think I, I wrote about this on Twitter but it reminded me of all those uh, evangelists on LinkedIn and Stan would definitely be on LinkedIn being like a Tony Robbins style figure <laughs> another potentially coincidental sort of reference or non-reference. I'm not sure about this. It's been suggested that uh, because South Park started in 97 as a series, at least, I think maybe the the animation was the previous year that's, that kicked it all off. But um, Kenny Falmouth, Falmouth mm. being obviously a place uh, somewhere down uh, southwest of England, but Kenny Falmouth sounds like it could almost be a reference mm. to Kenny from South Park. Yeah, and he sounded a bit like Cartman as well. That's true. But yeah, it probably would have been, because this game came out in November 97. So I'm not sure. It, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. I think the USA got the series a little while before we did over here as well for South Park. And of course, as always with LucasArts Adventures, there are multiple self-referential references to other LucasArts and LucasFilm properties. Loads of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and the other point and clickers like Loom, Grim Fandango, Day of the Tentacle, The Dig, etc., etc., etc. It helps to know a bit about those games to get every joke, <laughs> games and films. Yeah, so one of uh, some of our correspondents have said that they played the game on at least after one playthrough on the regular. They played on the harder setting. Monkey Island 2 had a similar setup, Mega Monkey or whatever it's called. I don't think I've played on the more complex setting. I think there's one area where I noticed it was missing because there's a there's a line when you speak to the bartender, say, are you going to let me in that door to the haunted room upstairs? It was never locked for me. So uh, I think maybe that's one area where they didn't quite get the layering of the puzzle right and it's never been fixed. But overall, I think, Normally, this results in effectively having to do a slightly longer sequence of things to progress. But Charlotte, you you say you found this misleading? Yeah, I the way it was described on the, the front page mm. kind of confused me. I picked the harder one, thinking that it wasn't a harder difficulty, but rather that there were just more puzzles, like individual uh -huh. puzzles. Right. So I wasn't expecting to be picking anything that was more tricky, mm. but it definitely was because I gathered from having to use a guide that the getting the gold tooth out of the restaurant okay. was, was much trickier on the harder. The, Can you what remember the... Harder. The, the the procedure on either or both to uh, what the difference is like how how many more because having not played both it's hard to imagine how many more extra or how how much more complex the the stuff was I found some of the stuff in that barbershop a little bit uh yeah like I do I mean 
talking about using walkthroughs, I tried to avoid it, but there were a few times that I was pretty stumped. And obviously with a deadline, you can't just keep mm-hmm. wandering mm-hmm. the map and trying everything with everything else. So yeah. I definitely did use a walkthrough at times. That is my main problem with the game is that I had to use a walkthrough a lot. Yeah, with, with for example, in the in the barbershop, uh, you have to trigger one of the fights by slapping one of them with a glove. Yeah. And it's like, where would you where would you find out how to do that without mm. looking at a guide? So random. Yeah, it's quite a lot of those kinds of puzzles. Um, it does feel like the spotlight puzzle in the theater was completely stripped out of the yes. non-Mega Monkey mode. Like you just kind of press yeah. a button and everything works correctly. And it's like, okay, there was yeah. definitely a puzzle here. <laughs> I feel like actually they, they it's almost like the, the version I played was the light version yeah. and the, the Mega Monkey was actually the proper game. So I almost feel like those of us who didn't Mega Monkey it have kind of yeah just completed easy mode sort of thing. I think it almost uh, sort of sells it that way on that on that title screen. It almost feels like one mm. is like the sort of shandy of the two options. <laughs> I'd looked into yeah. it originally when I first played this game, like back in the back in college or whatever. And the way that I saw it described back then was that sometimes you would have to engage the same conversational topics multiple times to get the response yeah. that you ended up needing yeah. and to me that just sounded like mm. uh, I, mean, I don't want to sit through the same lines over and over again hoping that one of them is going to unlock a new option yeah but um mm. yeah i don't know i think there was just a little bit of uh clarity that could have been added to that option menu mm. yeah if, if i'd had time i would have liked to have just run through the the harder version again even if again with extensively with a walkthrough just to uh just to clock the differences but uh but yes to anyone listening to this uh and considering going a go i keep uh, giving it a go i keep saying the game is available on good old games and it only costs uh like six quid under like seven or eight dollars i would recommend going with the the full fat version and yeah have a walkthrough to hand because there will be times where you will have you feel like you'll have tried everything uh and you can you can put yourself through that if you want like the, the again time and context and all that stuff and your point in life and the point in where games are at back in the day what we would have done was before the internet certainly obviously this game came out came out when the world wide web was starting to become more of a a thing in people's homes and on their pcs but back in the days of monkey island one and two if you got stuck you would just stay stuck until you got a magazine and then you would agonize over whether to uh, look at the walkthrough they printed you might have had the you might have been stuck on the same screen for a month at this point and then you'd go i really want to see the rest of the game but i don't really want to spoil it for myself whereas now you're you go through your inventory once and you're like i don't know what to do i'll look it up and it's right there in front of you you literally tabbing between solutions and the game it's a very different experience yeah and i also think there's um it's just that there's yeah, we've we've got so many games at our fingertips nowadays. We get oh, yeah. them for free. It's yep. like you don't want to sit there, um, sort of nursing one game for six months anymore. Yeah, yeah, I think it's true, and I think we probably do miss out on some of the inordinate, overwhelming satisfaction we used to get from finally working out a puzzle. But then on the flip side of that, it's a very fine line, isn't it, in puzzle design between oh no, I'm such an idiot, or Oh my God, the designers are such idiots. Yeah, it felt like half and half to me. Some of the solutions just seemed completely nonsensical and others were like I was kicking myself for not getting it before looking at a walkthrough. Yeah, so the 
obviously the absurdist nature of the comedy means that anything goes. So I think, for instance, use auger with block of tofu to create mask for me would very much go in the that doesn't make any sense pile. But if you just try everything in, in your inventory with everything else, it will happen. So I don't know. Ryan, how do you feel about the puzzle design in this game? Too silly, too much, too little? I mean, I don't even really honestly know what an auger is, so that was a bit of a <laughs> struggle for me. I'll admit I had to look it up. It's a thing that makes holes. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I found this game easier than the previous Monkey Island games. Maybe I'm just older now or have a better idea of what to expect. Mm. I felt like the logic tended to be a little bit less absurd than it had been Moon previously. Logic. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I would tend mm. to kind of have an idea of how to get to where I wanted to get to. And then like, you know, it might not be the most direct route there, but I would eventually kind of find a way to, to do so. But, um, I mean, as always, and I, it's kind of a, I don't want to say the point of the genre, but it's, it is kind of a genre trope mm. that it overstuffs your inventory a little bit. And uh, yep. especially since kind of like combining items and scrolling through the pages of items is a little bit, could be streamlined a tiny bit. Um, it just yeah. felt like, you know, I just didn't want that friction there all the time. Uh, so mm -hmm. it it kind of discouraged me from brute forcing, which I guess is good. But um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's kind of frustrating to find yourself into a corner and not have the uh, like built in hint system that we enjoyed in the special editions. One thing I also wanted to mention, uh, while it probably wouldn't have been as agonizing as playing the Amiga version of Monkey Island 2 from 13 discs or whatever it was, playing it on a CD back in the day, uh, yes, probably installed, I guess. But just in, in terms of running this on a much slower PC, you know that just transitioning from screen to screen would have been much slower even stuff like, yes, combining every item with everything else. So now the entire game's just sitting comfortably in RAM with gigs and gigs to spare. So when you combine item with another item, you can just rapid fire, click through everything. Dominic Armato will come back at you and say, no, 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 or whatever, whatever the sound clip is for that. Whereas back in the day, you would have probably had to wait for a little little CD access or a little RAM access or a little hard drive access for everything that you did. So everything would have taken longer. There would have been no control F to walk around faster. And uh, yeah, so again, it's kind of a it's it's almost a, a bit of a different experience now. Obviously, one that sits more comfortably with what we're used to from modern technology, but worth thinking about in terms of the effort it took to actually play these games. Dan, how about you and the the puzzling? Did you enjoy it? Did you cheat a lot? Did you were you tempted to Mega Monkey? Um, I think I've tried Mega Monkey a couple of times and then stopped and gone for the again the Shandy option. Um, but I, while I think the puzzle design is um, more modern than the previous games, I can see that they were trying mm -hmm. to sort of simple streamline and simplify. But at the same time, they're wrestling with having to uh, what's the word? Uh, satisfy the the real puzzle types who like that pixel hunty uh, mm. almost anti-logic type puzzle i think they're trying to sort of meld two different groups of people who play games together there um i don't know i think they did okay at it there i had to use a walkthrough at various points when i've played this over the years even with puzzles that i think i should be able to remember i still have to go and sort of double check here and there so i don't think it's as uh, i don't know logical as one might hope but it's part of the genre it's just it's what those games are Interface-wise, things were definitely streamlined back in uh, the day, and they'd even they'd already reduced the interface by one column of verbs for the second game. But now, no, no verbs at all. Just uh, 
hold down the mouse button and you got a mouth and a hand, some eyes, and that's it. And everything works from there. Uh, I think even in 2020, even though there are probably examples of games where they've streamlined this further to just either different buttons or just a simple interact or not kind of interface, I actually think this still feels pretty kind of uh, intuitive and um, elegant. I like the first moment where you realize that the mouth doesn't always mean talk. It sometimes yeah, means right. eat or stuff like that. And uh, that's just kind of another level of helping you think outside the box. Anyone else enjoy the interface or have any issues with it? I mean, I had problems with it, but mostly because I wasn't using a mouse, but rather a, a laptop trackpad that mm. was not very fun to operate, but that's kind of my fault. I did have sometimes have difficulty even aside from that sort of um, sort of mousing out of the inventory, for example, and like pulling an item onto the the sort of screen was a little bit clunky sometimes. I think other than being entirely context sensitive, which we've had in some point and click games in the years since, where like just left click does whatever you need it to do. Yeah, I think this is kind of the prototype for almost all of the interfaces we've probably seen since. So. It's one of those things where you can't really knock the first attempt, at, or not the first attempt, Full Throttle already done something quite similar, but the early attempts of people to try and make something, uh, quote, better, they're all steps towards where we are now with, say, Telltale and, and what have you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's sort of curious thinking about the history of it. We went from text adventures, which started in the probably late 70s, I suppose, although you can kind of trace it back further certainly they were popular in the early early to mid 80s then the point and clickers came along with uh, the LucasArts and Sierra games then and then within yeah it took another 10 years of point and clickers seeming like the absolute you know just such a, a natural sort of enhancement or uh just a a way of yeah making things simpler and yeah quality of life improvements whatever you want to call it um and then yeah and then there was that next big revolution in mid 90s with full throttle and kind of almost that's almost we're almost at the same place like it's barely moved on since then hmm. this was also the first game in the series i believe certainly can't remember anything from monkey islands 1 or 2 that ha- that has just a couple of kind of real-time, almost arcade sequences. Very, very simple stuff. Firing cannonballs. There's one near the start where you're looking out of the ship and you just simply clear some boats and skeletons out of the way. Then later on, to trigger the insult sword fighting, which of course returns from Monkey Island 1, but now it rhymes and has voices, you have to actually uh, hunt down enemy ships on a map or click on them and then uh, point your ship around and right click to make them fire cannons. And then you have to keep going back to Puerto Pollo to uh, upgrade your cannons where you don't have to, but it helps. And uh, apparently if you type shift and J during the ship to ship combat, you get lightsaber sounds during the sword fighting. (laughs) Didn't know that. Thanks to the IMDB. How did you feel about bringing some real time action into your point and clicker? (laughs) I could have done without it, to be honest, but um I think it's the time where it was a, almost like they felt like they had to add something extra to bring in, I don't know, maybe a more casual market or just a broader market. Like, look, we're not we're not just your boring, we're not your grandma's point and click game kind of thing. <laughs> At least they didn't add horrible fail states for 
instant failure or something like that. Yeah, and I think they did it it's slightly better in this than in Full Throttle. So okay. thank heavens for small mercy. Still never played Full Throttle. Oh, it's um well, especially that HD version is possibly worth a look now. It's on the list. I think I've got it. Um, with the Canon one, uh, there's a great little joke that um now you have to sort of go sort of outside the box to do it. So you can uh, you know the forts forts in the background. You can destroy those with the cannons. Oh yeah, right. But then when you go on land, uh, Guybrush makes a great joke about the fact that they haven't got new paint like. Obviously, the backdrop is painted with the forts still there. Uh-huh. So when you get to the island, he says, oh, it doesn't look as bad from close up. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's good. Yes, that's the other kind of joke that is obviously their fourth wall breaking and meta humour about the fact that they sometimes know they're in a game and uh, they will refer to yeah the development of the game or the creator of the game or... Dr. Raphael from the forum says, I played Curse of Monkey Island for the first time several years after release, having never heard of the series before. A friend at school began evangelising about it, and after enough begging was kind enough to lend it to me. I must have kept it for months and played it through five or six times before he got it back. Gameplay itself is a relatively minor part of the experience as far as I'm concerned. This was the first point-and-click adventure I'd played, and I got on fine with the interface at the time. The more context-sensitive and slimmed-down the action doubloon becomes more appreciable once you've played the older games with their verb tables. If only because it halves the number of verb thingy X with doobry Y cycles you go through to solve the more illogical puzzles. It feels a little sluggish to me now, but it's still very serviceable. I'm not sure the puzzles do anything groundbreaking, but I remember plenty of them fondly, such as the insult sword fighting, the treasure map tattoo, and the hangover cure. Coming back, having played the earlier games, most puzzles feel very much like rehashes or fan service. Throughout the first play, rarely would I immediately hit upon the correct sequence of solutions, many requiring thinking beyond the lateral. So just clicking everything was commonly my preferred method. I know that should be frustrating as a mechanic, and I've played other games in the genre where it becomes tedious. However, as most clicks in Curse of Monkey Island give a humorous payoff, if being miles away from the correct solution, it is all still good fun. Ultimately, I'm here for the laughs, not cerebral, not a cere- cerebral work out. The only obvious letdown in the game is the ship combat section, which just looks and plays poorly. Eh, I don't think it was that bad, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, inconsequential stuff, I would say. So yeah, the game, as I say, is split up into six parts. Probably, I don't know if there's a, the, uh, I think it's the chapter three is the one where you're at sea and the insult sword fighting is actually potentially over quite quickly. Uh, once you've collected up the necessary insults and the puzzle is the same as in the first game, which is that you have to work out the answers to the uh, the big bad or the, yeah, Ro- Captain Rottingham, who's uh, somebody you've already bumped into and insulted in the barbers. Uh, you have to work out the the answers to his insult riddles, which are, yeah, as as found elsewhere. But yes, that bit's quite brief. And then I suppose, I think maybe the longest part of the game is uh, probably the bartender, the thieves, his aunt and her lover. Is that, would that say, the, the lengthiest section? I think it was for me. Felt like the meat of the game was in there, which is, you know, where you're on Blood Island and get entangled with all, so- in all sorts of uh, adventures. Yeah, I'd find it sort of analogous to the point where you've opened up all of the islands in like GTA 3 or something like that. Do you know what I mean? You've, you're at the point where mm. kind of the world's more your oyster. And yeah, actually, so- you don't do a lot of toing and froing in this one, do you? There's- oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like, yeah, you, you kind of go on a, not a road trip, but a sea trip. Yeah, it's interesting that actually, I, I wonder if I think maybe there were plans to make it more like the earlier games in that you could actually sail from island to island and kind of 
do more toing and froing, but here it feels like very much you kind of go in a straight line uh, from one to the other. Then you go on a little side quest to Blood Island and, and back again. Ordinary Cole Scuttle from the forum says, for me, this latest playthrough solidified the fact that Blood Island is my favourite part of the game. Plunder Island is fun enough, and I'll admit that my interest waned in the closing chapters, but Blood Island is really the reason I hold this game so close to my heart. As well as featuring the funniest parts of the game, the good soup hotelier's nonchalant reaction to Guybrush's multiple deaths and the flying Welshman, it's also got a beautifully melancholy, ghostly atmosphere in everything from the soundtrack to the use of colours that has always stayed with me since I first played it almost two decades ago. There's that melancholy again. Oh, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> We're obviously all completely soulless or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I can sort of... I mean, there's a graveyard, death, and yes, there's, there's Mini Stroney, and yeah, I don't know. I guess a lot of this part of the game's story did have to do with family legacy and members of the family that had passed on. And uh, you find that uh, body in the, in the trundle bed, which was yeah. kind of a disturbing thought to just have it mm. kind of boarded up mm. in the wall like that for so long. Eventually you do end up having uh, haggled for the, uh, the diamond again. I think that's, that's right, isn't it? You get the diamond off the smugglers um, voiced by a, uh, Somebody who, again, it's another uh, really, really well-known voice actor who... Uh, Dave Fenoy. Dave Fenoy, that's it, who's just, yeah, ubiquitous. Recently, uh, we've seen him in uh, a game we covered recently, Arkham Knight, that's it. Uh, I think, yes, he's uh, Lucius Fox in Arkham Knight, um, and he's just done, yeah, loads and loads of stuff. Anyway, so you get the diamond off uh, off him, and uh, and then you sort of end up, you find yourself kind of captured by LeChuck... Then he turns you into a child and you have a very yeah, peculiar section involving the, the aforementioned snow cone and uh, custard pieing a clown unconscious with by stowing an anchor in a custard pie. And before you know it, you're on the final section, which does resemble the final section from the previous games in that you're sort of on the run from LeChuck and you can get moved to another location. But again... Mega Monkey players may think I may think this is you know very uh, yeah shandy drinking of us, but really it was just a case of nab four things from four locations and put them together, and then suddenly boom, that's it, game over. I just found it all very sudden, brief, and underplayed and understated. Apparently, according to Moby Games, LucasArts initially designed longer end scenes for the game, but due to budget and time restraints, were forced to drop those plans. According to the IMDb, during the last parts of the game, Elaine was supposed to get loose and fight a bunch of skeletons, all while helping Guybrush to get inside the roller coaster using the correct tracks. This part was cut. So it sounds to me like the big showdown at the end was kind of hamstrung by time and money. Uh, it was a bit brief, but I didn't really mind by that point because the, the Puerto Polo section and the um the the section on blood island felt very long to me like not to the point where i, I was begging for it yeah. to be over but i i didn't mind that the end was a little bit speedier yeah i understand that yeah i wonder if there was meant to be a little more emotional emotional resonance meant with the sort of haha look we uh, the theme park thing was real all along um mm -hmm. yes and if that was meant to sort of be a sort of make us feel like the build-up was longer than perhaps we felt it was yeah i i don't tend to enjoy the kind of like final boss battles at the end of uh monkey island games or point and clicks in general and so i was okay with this being 
brief. Um, that's some kind of like cute, uh, you know, recreations of scenes from previous Monkey Island games. And, you know, there were a lot of kind of references backwards as well. And then, of course, this whole section felt like kind of a uh, reckoning with the ending of Monkey 2 as well. And so it felt necessary in that way. But um, I, I, th- I feel like by that point, I had kind of had, you know, a great Monkey Island adventure and I was ready for it to be kind of wrapping up. You know, you get to that point in a, a game. So I was OK with this being brief. Fair enough. Uh, ordinary coal scuttle from the forum says i started playing this shortly after being furloughed uh, that will always put this podcast hopefully in 2020 the word furloughed reminded me of the high seas <laughs> so long story short i downloaded and started replaying this a couple of minutes later this was my first experience of the monkey island series and what struck me about the game was the vibrant visual style i loved sam and max indiana jones and the fate of atlantis and day of the tentacle as a child, but this was on another level. Looking back at it now, I can identify shortcomings and aspects that don't look quite as seamless as they did when I was young, but I still kind of wish the remasters of Monkey Islands 1 and 2 had more closely followed this game's graphical style. I'd love to be able to see Ron Gilbert's vision for the true conclusion to the trilogy, a game that follows on from 2's truly bizarre conclusion. But I can't deny that for my own personal nostalgic reasons, I'm sure Curse is the real peak of the series for me. You'll notice I haven't had much to say about the gameplay specific. I'll be honest, I figured out most of the puzzles pretty much through muscle memory of having played it to death in my childhood. Impressive, considering it's been over a decade since I last visited it. Can easily imagine, as with any of these games, the obscurity of some solutions getting some people's goats, though. It's the inevitable... Feature film entry in the show notes. <laughs> uh, an animated movie entitled The Curse of Monkey Island, loosely based on the game, entered pre-production, but was cancelled in the early stages of development. The script was reportedly written by Ted Elliott, who would later use many of its ideas in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Ironic, given that the Monkey Island series was heavily influenced by the Pirates of the Caribbean amusement park attraction in the first place. You know, ironic indeed. Would anyone like to see the Monkey Island movie, animated movie at this point? And who would you would you want to have? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Would it would it be these the team who made this game if they're all still around? I don't even know. Active or should it be a case of getting the gang back together and having the uh, Gilbert Grossman Schaefer Monkey Island animated? I mean, no it's one? a toughie, but we've, we've had the Pirates of the Caribbean movies since, so I think a lot of the ground that they would have been treading would look a bit kind of yeah. uh, old hat by now. But I'd love to see, if, if there'd have been one at the time, I would have loved to have seen it. But I think now mm. it might be too little too late. I will, uh, I will admit to having enjoyed the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie at the time, m- mainly because it felt like a Monkey Island film. <laughs> and yep. uh, uh, I believe, I've never watched any of the sequels, but I believe they've been increasingly bloated and troublesome to watch but uh but the first one i thought at the time in 2003 was uh, was quite a breath of fresh air and just yeah a good bit of inconsequential piratical fun but uh yeah i think um maybe it was too popular for its own good but yeah can't really talk about films i haven't seen alex 79 from the forum says this game is often dismissed by fans of the series for not being a real monkey island 3 and i don't think that's fair because it's a fantastic point and click adventure in its own right My first experience playing it was a demo on the PC compilation of the first two games, and I was blown away with the quality of the cartoon-like graphics and voice acting. The game is just gorgeous to look at and is filled with interesting characters and nice nods back to the previous games in the series. I just remember being absolutely engrossed in this game 
from the start to the finish. Lots of nice locations, brilliant music, decent length and plenty of chuckles along the way. You know what? I'd go so far as to say this is my second favourite game in the series after The Chuck's Revenge. I just wish they'd bring it back. Properly, I mean. Not that awful fourth game or the episodic early Telltale version. A full-on, old-school, point-and-click Monkey Island made by Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer. That would be really special. Keep wishing. Mechner. Here we go again. Listen to this. There is a strong feeling of loss throughout the game. In its themes, characters' fixation on death, failure and curses which could mirror series creator Ron Gilbert moving on to an arguably less greener pasture of edutainment with humongous games and essentially leaving Monkey Island up in the air, not knowing its direction or still mysterious secret. Curse easily has the same quality of narrative and character that previous games in the series had, but sadly anything without the great Gilbert is looked upon negatively by older fans, which is sad because Curse is brilliant, full of very memorable characters, music, puzzles and story. There's a, there's a lot of people going to bat for the game curse against the people who preferred the original games, but we haven't really heard too much from them. So interesting. Dr. Raphael says the Curse of Monkey Island is one of those special titles that really stands out looking back over my past 25 years of video gaming for reasons well beyond its own inherent qualities. Most importantly, however, is that it joins a handful of games that evoke the memories and feelings of a specific time in my life, much in the way that certain songs or scents can. In this case, when I'm playing the game, I feel like I'm sat in front of a tiny CRT monitor in my mum's box room, still wearing my massive school blazer because taking it off would have delayed me from the game for too long for that to be a viable option. It brings back the faces of friends I no longer see, the rooms of a house I no longer live in, and the mouse-clicking hands of a much smaller me. I suspect I will be quoting lines from it for years to come and will always look back fondly upon it. Thank you for all that long-form correspondence. Canerince.com slash forum, as always, is the place to go and leave it. The show thrives upon it. We also have words, three of them at a time, reviews. <laughs> That's almost English. Let's start with Charlotte and Mechner. Uh, so Mechner says, blistering banjo duel. And from Tim Scott Alien, we have rhyming pirate quartet. Joseph Raphael says, fine leather jackets. And Simon Nelson says, roam the sea. Don't actually know if the fine leather jackets gag makes it into it's this in one. Yep. It does, yeah. It is. It's okay, a re- repetitive thing. Good. So, okay. so that's an old gag. Yes, it's from, ah. yeah, it's from, it's, well, it's, it's, uh, it's an Indiana Jones gag, isn't it? From oh. uh, Holy Grail, isn't it? Is it? Oh, I, I never picked up. I always thought it was just a Monkey Island thing. <laughs> yeah, I've not, but I've never seen an, an Indiana Jones film, so. Ah, my goodness. Okay. I always forget it was a sort of a reference to Indiana Jones, but I don't know if it's from it i'm selling these fine leather jackets i have googled fine leather jackets but it has just pulled up fine leather jackets so okay <laughs> actual fine leather jackets yep. <laughs> try i'm selling these fine leather jackets there is a uh indiana jones and the last crusade point and click adventure game uh that's coming up that's in... what it's from yeah that sounds oh. okay yeah okay so yeah i thought it was a movie but it's a it's a game but they're canonical because it's lucas so there we go anyway right let us summarise our feelings of the third Monkey Island game. Whether we will continue looking at this series, as I say, remains to be seen. There could be one or two more podcasts about Monkey Island in the future. Not that much clamour for those, but, you know, we like to be complete about things. Anyway, uh, who shall we have first? Let's start with Ryan. The game is very funny. It's very inventive. It's um, it's very memorable. I, I was surprised by how much of the game I remembered 
from my original kind of YouTube watch through all these years later, uh, coming back to it and replaying it now. I, I tend to find that these solutions to puzzles are pretty satisfying to figure out. And even when I do have to consult with a guide, uh, you know, it's still still funny kind of throughout. Um, I, I ended up learning a lot from this game. Like I, I know what a caper toss is and I didn't before. So that was a piece that really stuck with me. Yeah, I, I'll say that like, you know, for how big, monumental and important the first two Monkey Island games seem, this one, this one kind of, you know, it feels less like it feels less um necessary for the development of the video game medium in a way but like that doesn't take away from the fact that it's still just like a really good game and i think there's been kind of an outpouring of um criticism in a way from fans of a uh, real kind of diehard monkey island fans over the years you know with uh ron gilbert departing the project and um the shift in art style and writers and presentation and, and gameplay style, you know, there's a lot of people that feel, and especially with the disregard for the ending of the second game, um, or a kind of like a different reckoning with it than, than the original team probably would have given it. A lot of people feel, and I've seen it argued before that, um, that this game, like, you know, isn't, uh, isn't brave enough to go to the places that uh, <laughs> that Monkey Island Two <laughs> was was lying the path for, and I I love Monkey Island, but I have a hard time treating it that religiously and that seriously. Like I think that it it thrives on breaking its own internal consistency. Like those are a significant number of the jokes that arise. You know, there's no world in which a soda machine should be in a pirate world and it be otherwise unchanged. You know, these are silly campfire mm. stories and I love it that way. I, I would love to see future entries in the series, you know, completely even deviate from the um, chronology and the backstory that, uh, that has been previously established. You know, I like the, archetypes of the characters i like the world that it sets up i like that it's just kind of a freedom of license to tell kind of a rip roaring high seas you know swashbuckling comedy adventure which you know for the relatively smaller number of comedy games that are out there in the the video game industry it's uh i still think it's a a, a really kind of fertile ground um and we've seen you know the since then, the uh, Monkey Island Extended Universe has uh, expanded considerably, pulling in uh, the Uncharted series now, and uh, by extension, The Last of Us, all technically now taking place within the world of Monkey Island, as uh, as confirmed by Uncharted Four. So, you know, oh. obviously this uh, this this series has legs. Um, I, I I just uh, I have a lot of affection for Monkey Island in general, and um, I think that this game does the series proud. So, uh, yeah, more of more of this, and of course the the addition of the voice cast and the tr uh, terrific animation, like it stands on its own as a great Monkey Island game. Which I think for this type of game, like standing on its own, is really what you should be shooting for. So, um, I give it a big thumbs up. It's it's a really comfortable ride if you're getting into it this many years later. So, uh, yeah, easy recommendation, I'd say. Did I miss the thing in Uncharted where it made Monkey Island canonical yeah, so, or have um, I just forgotten in, it? Uh, in Uncharted 4, when you're going through these kind of like ah, these tomes of pirate history, Guy uh, Rush is one of the like pirate lords of old. 
So, oh, wow. Yeah. And he's a playable character in uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2. So, however you want to take all of this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, have, I have that in, uh, in my Games with Gold library. And uh, I'm going to have to replay the entire of Uncharted 4 now, just in case I, I didn't see that the first time around. Funnily enough, when you'd mentioned earlier the, um, the video that mentions Guybrush being slightly uh, sociopathic. <laughs> I did wonder if that was the original version of sort of the Nathan Drake paradox of uh, <laughs> gunning down millions of people while being this sort of happy, friendly hero. Yeah. Yes, he doesn't gun down millions in the same way that uh, a lot of modern action game protagonists do, but uh, he will think very little of uh, inconveniencing others or possibly leaving them to die in the case He's, of Stan. Uh, aspiring to be a pirate. He's setting the ethical bar for himself very low to begin with. So Fair, fair. Yeah, so obviously... Um, social media wasn't around in 1997. Otherwise, when this game came out, I would have started the hashtag NotMyMonkeyIsland and uh, sent death threats to the creators for not having told the story uh, that continued Monkey Island in the way that I had envisaged in the five years after Monkey Island 2. However, there was no social media then, so I had to suck it up and play the game and just understand that sometimes creative people move on to other places and other companies and other talents will take over the fiction writing duties for uh, for uh, for an existing IP. And yes, I'll admit I was a bit prejudiced in that in that in that stupid way, and I do still think that for my comedy tastes, Gilbert Grossman, Schaefer uh, I enjoy their humor more. I think it's uh, it just appeals to me more. It's slightly more absurdist and has a little, I feel personally has a little more depth to it than what we get in this game. However, I did find this game chucklesome, you know, amusing, enjoyable. And some of those voice performances for me and yeah, some amazing casting uh, really elevates the whole experience. So yeah, it almost doesn't, feel like it it doesn't feel like a sequel to monkey island 2 to me so much as it feels like like a guide in or a soft reboot of monkey island or something like that and taken in that context i think it's a a fine 90s point and click adventure game that's probably still worth playing for fans of the genre today so say you need a pc or a mac you can play it on uh play it on uh, legitimately, legally, by buying a copy for a few quid on good old games. And yeah, for anyone who ever had affection for the, the genre or in this particular franchise, I would absolutely recommend doing so. Now it's so easy to to get hold of and, and play in that way. Uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not the, for me, it's not the all-time classic that the, the perhaps the predecessors are. I don't have the same nostalgia and affection for it but uh but i still admire it and yeah i think the uh the art for it is is still quite outstanding but i would love to see the um the ai upscaled version that uh that is hinted at on youtube could still happen it's amazing what ips in the land of video games over the last few years that we thought were dead have been resurrected somehow by well-meaning people or crowdfunding or uh, or whatever so i definitely wouldn't rule out some kind of uh, ultra monkey box set someday in the future if everyone can get their act together that would be good uh, charlotte yep um so my thoughts on curse of monkey island in general are that it was quite enjoyable um but unfortunately 
it's reinforced my opinion that I like it in spite of it being a point and click adventure game and not because it's a mm. particularly excellent, um, you know, opinion changing example of the genre for me. I found it very funny and that helps me to get through the points where I felt like I was opening a guide too much because there is that feeling for me when you're, for me personally, when I start looking in a guide, um, the temptation to look up future things becomes more and more prominent. And then eventually I have to really stop myself from looking everything up. And that just feels like I don't, Some I get to a point where I'm not even sure why I'm playing the game anymore because it's, I'm just, I may as well watch a Let's Play at that point. So it didn't quite get to that level with me. I managed to reel it back in after I looked up a few things. Uh, but it, it was still hard work for that not to happen, which is why I think that it was still not an enjoyable game for me in the point and click sense of things. The, the game that I mentioned at the beginning that I played, that I enjoyed, so the first episode of the new uh, King's Quest, oh, yeah. that, that was just, it was easier and I didn't have to look up as much stuff. So that's why I enjoyed it. But having said that, I felt like the it was very stylish. It was, uh, as I've said, very humorous. I, I wanted to continue playing to find out what was going to happen with the story. And I feel like pretty much almost every character in the game had a memorable sort of personality and really was very well designed. And I feel like a lot of very valuable work went into this game and that I can see why people who love point and click games would really love this game. So I would definitely recommend playing it, especially if you like point-and-click adventure games. If you're not a fan of them like I am, still give it a go, but it might still be a bit too obscure for, for you. And definitely don't play it on hard difficulty. That was an idiot move from me. <laughs> Do you think that you would, if you just watched a critical path playthrough of it, obviously without skipping the cutscenes and everything, do you think you would have enjoyed that more than actually having to in interact with it at all, engage with it and solve puzzles or, you know, you just like the, the characters and the, the comedy kind of thing? You see, I, th I think I still got more out of it by playing it. Yeah, yeah, but good. I think that's because I didn't succumb to the temptation to, to look up absolutely everything. I think <laughs> right. if I'd have been looking everything up, yeah. I would have wondered. But even then, maybe because it's... I don't know, clicking on something and, for example, seeing uh, for yourself Guybrush putting the tofu mask on and the squelchy noise it makes when he pulls it over his head. Yeah. That's something that's kind of nicer to experience for yourself, but it is kind of marginal. I think if you're just following a guide and clicking through everything that guide tells you to do, it's sort of almost only yeah. a little bit better to play it for yourself. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, it might be might be almost as good to watch a Let's Play at that point. A barely interactive novel. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Those are the sorts of comments and conversations you have when talking about video games that you wouldn't have in any other way. Talking about the satisfaction of making a pretend tofu mask and the squelch when you put it on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's conclude with guest Dan. Now, this has been a difficult one for me. Um, I think if you'd asked me, say, in like, a few months ago, I would have told you that this was my favourite Monkey Island game, but having played it again, uh, I'm kind of with Ryan in that feels a little perfunctory, a little, um, or as you say, a bit like a sort of guide and threepwood kind of sort of not quite the sequel that I would have wanted. At the time, and even though I didn't play it till a few years later, I have this memory of it being part of a sort of pantheon of just these incredible PC games. The PC had sort of, the landscape had changed in uh, the years like 96 to 98. Like DirectX was a sort of big thing. And there were just these huge PC games like Quake 2, uh, Blade Runner had come out the same year. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, I think one of the 
yeah, Broken Sword 2 was probably around the same time. Yes. There were these sort of big 3D shooters. Driving games were looking like you'd never seen on the PC. And then a point-and-click game comes along that looks like nothing I'd ever seen at the time. Mm. Um, and, yeah, the, just the sheer look of it blew me away. But having gone back to it, I don't think I like it as much as the second game. I probably prefer it to 4, but you're all going to hate me for this. I actually quite like the PS2 game. So <laughs> uh, so maybe no one's going to trust we'll have you back. We'll any have of you my judgment It's also a this. PC game as well. But yeah, it, uh, yeah, it yeah, came to consoles. I, yeah. yeah, I played it on the PS2. Yeah, many, so I'm sure many of, people did. Yeah. Um, but that said, I've managed to play through the whole thing in my time on ScumVM on a PSP, which, I mean, that's a painful way to play a point-and-click game. And I managed to get all the way through. So it's obviously good enough for me to have... Uh, sort of put myself through that and um my favorite little moment of the game there's no words it's just when you, you can get the long pole and knock mm. murray into the sea <laughs> and it just makes this lovely <laughs> splish and for me that is just the perfect monkey island moment <laughs> nice thanks dan well we'll certainly if we do ever cover escape from is it escape from or escape to i forget the fourth monkey island game the much maligned uh, will definitely have you back um, until then. Well, until next time, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Charlotte, Ryan and Dan, as well as our correspondents and to you for listening and to tell you that next time in issue 428, the world ends with you. We're a band of vicious pirates a sailing out to sea. When you hear a gentle singing, you'll be sure to turn and flee. Oh, this is just ridiculous. Come on, men. We've got to recover that map. That pirate will be done for when he falls into our trap. We're a club of tune for rovers. We can sing in every clef. We can even hit the high notes. It's just too bad we're tuned up. A pirate I was meant to be. Trim the sails and roam the sea. 